This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This is John Trooper. This is Kate Prusser. This is Julio Rodriguez. Produced by Evan James Audio. This is Luca Landing Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Lookout Landing Podcast. It's a new day. We got a new crew here. John and Kate. Well, Kate's, I guess it's spring training. John is out for the evening, but we have with us Zach Mason and Anders Jorstad. I am Evan James, as always, audio engineer, host extraordinaire. Um, really excited to talk to you guys today. It's a new show. Uh, we're going to have a new format moving forward. We talked a little bit the previous couple of weeks about how the podcast is going to be migrating to a new name. It does seem at this time that we're going to be keeping the RSS feed, although I'll keep everyone posted on that. We're not going to announce the new name at this time, although I will say we're probably only going to do another episode or two under Lookout Landing Podcast. I know we said that weeks ago, but this time it actually seems like the transition is going to take place. Uh, so everyone who's been looking out for that information, checking back with me, uh, thanks for sticking with us. We are going to be doing that rollover at the end of the month. So uh down to business guys how we doing it's a saturday morning uh mariners absolutely crushed it yesterday big victory cooper hummel home runs i know that gets you gets you going durs so uh how you feeling <laughs> i mean i'm feeling pretty good uh we're recording this right after the mariners announced they sent down Cade marlowe so that really clears the way even more for cooper hummel to potentially uh crack it with the big club here after spring training which i'm excited for uh marlo though was one of the other like guys i really believe in so you know i don't want to sacrifice one of my sons for another one of my sons um but I and suppose... we know i'm pretty sure that uh Cade marlo's mom listens to the podcast so shout out to mama marlo oh yeah well i didn't even know that so i'm saying that without even trying to pander but yes marlo <laughs> is like one of my <laughs> marlo is one of my i think i have three you know i have four guys who i'm like trying to stake my claim on and one is cooper hummel two is Cade marlowe three is mason mccoy and four is taylor Tramel. may he get healthy again 
So why don't you I'm break that down for us that. a little bit? I saw Mason McCoy <laughs> playing a little bit yesterday and, and Kate had kind of indicated that he was one of her like sleeper picks to make the team, uh, especially considering that Haggerty and Moore have been a little slow, though it seems like they're getting back up to speed. Uh, McCoy looks like he's a guy who might get some playing time this year. What have you seen so far? Yeah, so McCoy is one of those guys who is known for his defense, and that was one of the reasons the Mariners acquired him. Um, He was actually supposed to play for the Frederick Keys when I was supposed to be their radio broadcaster in 2020. Of course, that season didn't happen because of the pandemic, but I would have gotten to see more of him um, if that had been the case. But he's known for his defense. That's why they got him. And then he just had like an offensive explosion last year with 21 homers, 22 steals. He had a respectable, um, you know, respectable numbers elsewhere. His WRC plus, it says was 96. So pretty much an average bat. And if you're a really good defender like that, and you have an average bat, like that plays up really well, especially if he's basically what I think, you know, they expect from Sam Haggerty essentially going forward. So I think he's basically, you know, a Sam Haggerty replacement if he gets hurt or a Demo replacement if he gets hurt. But I think that he will warm his way into enough at-bats to have a role on the team this year. And I'm interested for sure in if the offensive production he showed last year is something he can sustain and uh, sustain into the big leagues as well. Well, I mean, he's really got a, a leg up on everybody in that he can actually play shortstop. Which, you know, Demo is passable out there. And, you know, for a roster spot just for a backup shortstop is not really what you want to do. But uh, if Demo's, you know, not available to start the season, I think that really clears the way for McCoy. Because Haggerty, he's fine at, at second base and he's good in the outfield, but I don't love him at shortstop. No, I don't really either. And, and honestly, it's kind of weird that they have this many, like, actually interesting utility guys. Like, I feel like. Oftentimes, it's like the Sean O'Malley's of the world where you're just like, God, I'm just going to strangle myself if I see this guy with 400 plate appearances this year. I, You know, uh, I don't know that I agree with you about that, that being that weird Durst. Like, the Mariners are famously the, you know, what if you made the whole airplane out of second baseman team? So, <laughs> played them all in the outfield. Yeah. I suppose it's a good point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, they do I gotta say, I am, I am rooting that. a I'm rooting against Mason McCoy so that I can stop getting Slack uh, notifications for, for Mason showing up. <laughs> oh, dang. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Although I could just turn that off. It's not like anybody uses my name. Zach, uh, we have you here today because you wrote an article, a wonderful article, an article that I have read twice now. You made some predictions about this upcoming season. Some of them I love. Some of them get my blood boiling a little bit. You're there. So there's a couple here that I'm a little a little sus about, but I think we should dig into it. But let's start because Durs pointed out Mason McCoy and his list of kind of sleeper picks, dark horses to make the roster. Do you have anyone that you're kind of got your eye on, especially at this stage where the, the roster is starting to gel that you're really hoping gets a shot? You know, I actually just really like the 26-man roster as it's supposed to be constructed. I'm not actually rooting for any underdogs at the moment, um, which is a, a weird place to be. No, you know what? I take that back. It's... Evan White, it's just in my head, he's already on that 26-man roster, but I'm rooting for Evan White to get it together. I definitely respect that choice. I don't even care how well he hits. He's just so much fun to watch play first-base defense, which, you know, just for the novelty of the fact that that's a fun thing to watch is really exciting to me. And you predicted that he's going to have a 60% chance of having fewer than 400 plate appearances. Is that correct? I did. I did predict that, yeah. I mean, he's still, like, the truth is he can't hit. 
which matters quite a bit in getting on a, an MLB roster. And, you know, also he hasn't been that healthy very long, but uh, yeah. Well, do you want to, do you want to like tee up what this, what these predictions were a little bit? Cause um, you know, I think when you talk about sports predictions, they can mean different things. And this was like a pretty specific exercise. Absolutely. D- real quick. I interrupted Durs. Do you have anything on Evan White before we do that? No, I was just going to say to Zach that isn't the point of like having guys that you believe in, like compared to the rest of the Mariners fan base, that you hope those players become good enough to be worthy of a roster spot on the 26 man. Not necessarily that you hope like there are three injuries and so Mason McCoy has to play. It's more of I hope Mason McCoy is good enough that he like forces their hand and they have to play him. That's kind of what I'm going with those. No. I totally understand that that's that's what you're talking about. I just like the guys on the roster already. You know, like I really enjoy Ty France as a person and as a player. So like I don't need to get excited about minor leaguers when I like the team so much. That's all. Ty France, can I can I tell a real quick I know we're about to get to something. Can I tell a real quick story about Ty France? Absolutely. You've got right, my permission. You. I don't know. Evan, is that okay <laughs> with you? Absolutely. Um, so I was just at spring training in Arizona. Um, I got to see our good pal, Eric Sanford there. Me and him got to catch a, a Mariners white Sox game together, which is really cool. But the third game that I saw, um, my mom and my friend and I got really close, uh, seats to like the, the dugout for the Mariners and my girlfriend wasn't able to come on the trip. So I bought her a hat, a Mariners hat. And I realized once we were that close that like, Oh, like players are going to come like sign stuff in front of the dugout before the game and so i went down there and i was like well you know she's she's mostly a nationals fan but there are some mariners that she likes um and so i was like i i gotta get someone like really good it's gotta be someone that like she would know and most of the guys that were down there signing autographs you know first of all i will give them credit you know emerson hancock was down there Cade marlowe was down there you know these are great you know good for them for going down there signing autographs um but you know most of the players that were down there like i did not think my girlfriend would know if i returned with an autograph and said here's the guy i have for you but Ty France went down the entire line of people before the game and signed every single autograph, took photos with every single person. I just want to shout him out for being a great guy and doing that because he gave me an autograph that was worth bragging about to and uh, worth, surprise, worth surprising my girlfriend with. That's wonderful. I feel so bad for MLB players these days with how many people are trying to get their autographs compared to even just 20 years ago. You know, the autograph hound community has just made it like really hard for them. And uh, so good, good on, good on Ty for doing it for an actual fan, somebody who uh, really, you know, cares about Ty France as an individual and not just uh, his <laughs> paper as a collectible. Yes, very much so. All right, Evan, I'll let you, I'll let you get on to what you're going to do now. Well, I think I'm just going to hand it over to Zam to tee this up because he wants to contextualize some of the different predictions that we got going on here. So go ahead, Zach. Yeah, well, so, I mean, when you listen to people giving out takes about sports, there is just so much malarkey out there. There is, like, everybody is just absolutely full of it. Um, And that is fine. I enjoy that as much as everybody. Um, You know, America's appetite for a TV show where, like, two middle-aged men yell at each other is, like, Pretty insatiable, apparently. Uh, however, there's a different way to do it as well, where you really try to be rigorous and like really try to make predictions that you think are going to be accurate and try to get better at making those predictions so that people know whether you are a trustworthy person or not and just so that you get better. And 
one of the ways to do that uh, is by recording your predictions so that you can go back and see how well you did and try to get better at it. Um, this can involve, uh, you know, realizing that there are some things that you're not that good at and that you should just stop predicting, or it can like make you aware of risks that you didn't see um, and make you think about that sort of thing differently. So that's really the important thing is to write down the predictions. Uh, the other two key pieces of this are to be really specific about what you're predicting. So like Jared Kelnick's going to have a big year is not something that's like falsifiable because you're doing so much work on depending on what is a big year. You really need it to be something that you can look at after the fact and know with like logical certainty whether it was correct or not. So some, an example of something that would be specific and falsifiable would be like, Jared Kelnick hits 20 home runs or more. That's something you can look at after the fact and see whether it was accurate or not. And then the last piece of it is to think probabilistically, which is to say, assign the likelihood of an event taking place. Uh, this is something that we're really used to with projection systems. So like the Fangraphs playoff odds is something that most listeners, I think, are probably familiar with, saying, you know, X team on Y date has Z percent odds of making the playoffs uh people can try to do that too and the key fact about it is to understand that this is about expressing how confident you are in a prediction so if you're 90 percent sure that something's going to happen even 10 percent of the time you expect those things to not come true uh if, if you make 10 predictions with 60 percent odds you actually want four of them to be wrong. And I think that's just a way to grapple with the fact that there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. And what you're really doing is being rigorous about thinking how uncertain things are. Uh, so sorry to monologue a little bit. Did that make sense? Do you guys, did I make that case well? This is all in the lookoutlanding.com article that I posted. It explained with a little more depth. Um, and in there, you'll see these, these 40 predictions that I made, as well as a link to a survey that you can fill out how likely you think these events are. are. Uh, and then I'm going to follow up with uh, a post after March, sometime after March 17th with what all of the readers thought, because the wisdom of the crowd suggests that you guys should be better at it than I will. Um, I actually expect to be pretty bad at it. So we'll, uh, I'll, I'll tweet from the main account another link to the article that's got the, the link to the survey in it as well. So please participate. It'll make it um, better. And then in... October, November, we'll look back and see how I did, see how the readers did. And, uh, you know, if we go through some of these today, we'll see how you guys did too. Awesome, dude. I say we just, uh, we run through them a little bit, especially some of the the ones you want to highlight in particular. Uh, and maybe we should start with uh, the guy you've been going to bat for who's been coming up to bat big for himself lately, which is Jared Kelnick. Well, I actually don't have one about Jared Kelnick, but um, that's because I'm too emotionally invested in Jared Kelnick's success. It's, um, a, it's, is is Jared Kelnick like entering this season like the most unquantifiable like Mariners player we've had in like a long long time I feel like I, by which I mean the the ways in which the season could go for him are like so varying it's like almost incomprehensible and nobody has any idea which which way the pendulum is going to swing we all have we all have like our reasons to think it might be one way or another but we don't really have an idea I can't remember the last time there was somebody on the team where I would absolutely believe like negative wins above replacement or like five wins above replacement 
and think both of those things were totally plausible. I think a big part of that is uh, is the shift, right? Because we're all wondering what his batting average jump is going to be from not grounding into the shift or you know hitting fly balls into the shift quite so much. And if he gets a ten point bump or a fifteen point bump, like we might be talking about a guy who, in conjunction with some of the other changes he's made, is suddenly going to be hitting two fifty instead of you know two twenty like we might have hoped for or two thirty. Uh, and that's big because I think the assumption underlying all of this is we all think he's going to hit twenty home runs, right? Like he's done that. Just at a baseline with his performance in the major league so far, he's hit 20 home runs over 600 plate appearances as a major leaguer. We think he's going to do that. It's a question of like, how good is the defense? How much does the the speed come into play if he can get on base? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you, Durs. I think he probably has the widest band of variance in terms of potential outcomes. Uh, you're right. You didn't make a specific, a specific prediction about this, Zach. I'm looking over your article again. Uh, you said he's going to hit at least 20 home runs, but that was actually your your hypothetical as like, this is a specific question to ask. You're a, a, a qualitative question, as it were. Quantitative, excuse me. Qualitative would be like a good season quantitative in the terms of like 20 home runs, uh, which is the methodology we're working with here. So, but you did talk about you believe in Jared Kelnick, and I think we all do to some degree. So let's say, let's say Jared, thumbs up from everybody here. Um, who's next? Julio hits at least 22 home runs. Yeah, so I, I gave this one uh, pretty high odds. I mean, I went with 90% on this. I just think Julio hit 28 last year as a rookie. He didn't hit his first home run until May, and he played all of April. Uh, and then once he got going, I mean, he just unleashed, right? Like, I think if he plays even 130 games, he's getting 22 home runs, right? I don't mean to be like the downer here. I feel like that's too high because I feel like we are not taking into account the odds of an injury that derails all this and i guess you kind of just said like if he gets you know this number of games or plate appearances then yeah i think that maybe it is 90 percent. but i think that there is you know just with the way he plays the game i mean i was at the game where he almost injured himself trying to catch a ball on the wall in center field during like game three of spring training you know he just plays the game in a way where i I'm just worried he is going to do something reckless and miss like a month and a half. And that would definitely make this a taller task than it would otherwise be. Well, see, that's exactly where I disagree. I think if he makes, misses six weeks, he still hits 22 home runs. And that's why I'm so high on it. So what, what odds would you put on this, Duras? I guess <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really splitting hairs here because I'd probably put it at like 80 still. Because I agree with you on the whole that even if he gets hurt, he probably still clears it. But I think it becomes more of a question mark on whether he will clear it. I think if he is 100% healthy, I would peg him at hitting around 35, maybe as high as 40. If he if he plays 100 and, 155 to 160 games. I Yeah, I think if he plays, I think 35 is probably a pretty good number. I think the question that we all have on our minds is not how many home runs does he hit? It's how much time does he miss, right? That's really like the underlying crux of this and, and anything related to Julio is like, how much does he actually play? And we're all, we've all got our fingers crossed, obviously. And we want to say he's going to, he's going to take almost 700 plate appearances and uh, it's going to be the best year ever. So that's, that's the official answer I'm going to go with. But I will say, yeah, I think 35 home runs, if he's healthy all year, I think 22 is hedging your bets a little bit and that's probably smart so i like your math on that one but i think the next one well so what, what, what's your what's your percentage odds on 22 home runs then 
Uh, I think 90 is is very fair. I think he's overwhelmingly likely to be healthy enough to hit past that, and he's good enough where that's a pretty low estimate if he's playing, right? I think that's all fair. Yeah, I mean, he only played 132 games last year, and he didn't hit a home run for all of April. So I just feel very good about that. You think my next one is spicier? So do the readers so far. They are all over the place on their bets on, on this one. I do think it's spicy. I think it's a it's a very pertinent question too for the way his sophomore season is going to go overall. But why don't you take us through your methodology about this one a little bit? Yeah. So this this prediction is uh, Julio steals fewer than thirty bases, and I gave this seventy percent odds. So my thinking here, part of it is what we've covered on the uh, on the home runs, and really what is endemic to every prediction that that I've made here, which is what are the odds that he gets hurt. Or the odds that anybody gets hurt. Uh, that I think we, you know, it's it's fairly unknowable. I think Durge, you're making a good point that he plays the game really hard. I think that's something to be worried about. I also think it relates to stealing bases specifically because I think they're going to try to really avoid him getting hurt by easing him up on the base pads. It's it's risky to try to steal a base. Uh, and I think they, they stopped having him run so much after he got hurt last year. Um, after April, he only stole 16 bases for the rest of the season. And so I just think, even though he's really capable of doing a lot more, it's, you know, it's just not worth the risk. That's, that's my thinking there. He only stole two in the second half, right? Is that right? I believe you. It was either two or four. It was single digits. And I remember this because... Um, Evan and I on our previous show, It's Never Sunny in Seattle, um, we had a bold predictions episode in which we, you know, stated our bold predictions for the season. And my bold prediction was that he was going to steal single digit stolen bases in 2023, which I still feel like I don't I don't really know how if I feel that's likely anymore because the Mariners have talked up how they're going to let him run more, especially with the expanded bases. So I feel like he's probably going to sniff 12 to 15, but I think that 30 is just not happening in my mind. So I would put, I would even put my, I would put my stamp even higher than you have it. I would put it at 90% odds that he does not steal 30 bases. Yeah, I looked it up. You're, you're right. Uh, four stolen bases in the second half. So this is all together, right? Because he only stole four bases in the second half of last year because he suffered an injury. You know, they didn't want him running and sliding and injuring his hand any further. And then later in the year, it was, again, the back issue. He had back spasms or whatever in September. So fewer than 30 bases, yeah. I think I agree with Darius that I'd give that 90% odds. Not because he doesn't have the speed for it, but because I don't think they're going to have him do it, like we kind of said. And even more so, if he does get injured in any kind of way where they want to reel him back on that, they're just not going to have him do it. And I think I said on the on this podcast a couple of weeks ago that I was most excited for his sophomore season to see how how the speed does affect him to see if the defense is better to see if he can steal more bases but as time has gone on i think i'm more skeptical about the overall number and i think that he's going to settle in right around 20 to 22 what do you think of that zach yeah that sounds pretty reasonable to me i mean the projections have him in the all in the high 20s uh the high number of all the projection systems is 30 so um yeah, that the low twenty sounds pretty reasonable to me. What uh, what, I want I want you on record though. What's your what's your percentage odds on stealing fewer than thirty bases? I'm gonna agree with Darius. I'm gonna say ninety percent on fewer than thirty bases. Love it. Uh, right. Let's jump down one. Uh, 
because this one I'm interested to see you guys talk about since he's gotten his first spring training plate appearances. Tommy Listella gets fewer than 50 plate appearances as a Mariner. God, I hope so. Um, Okay, well, so this is have... what's hard about this, right? You really want to be realistic. You can't just go with what you're hoping for. I think he gets more like 75. Okay, so 50 per plate appearances as a Mariner. I'm going to give that 20% odds because I think he goes over it, but not by, not by more than a standard deviation. How's that? Yeah, all right. That's fair. There's... I mean, Tommy Lastella is here to fill the Jay Clam-sized hole in our heart, right? Which was not a very big <laughs> hole, to be clear. Because he was not even getting at-bats for the Mariners when he was healthy, Jay Clam. So <laughs> I, I don't really know how big that role is that Tommy Lastella is filling. And I, I think even if he lasts on the roster for like two months, that he may not clear that number of plate appearances in that time anyway. So I think that... I think your odds are... I would I would even put them a little higher. I'd say seventy percent because I don't think Listella is going to be on the roster come like May twenty fifth. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is where I get to the Evan White of it all. You know, it's like Evan White's right there. Why why are you playing Tommy Lustella at all when Evan White is available? It's they hit the same amount. So you might as well have somebody who can play defense in a way that's I think the answer to this question is the same as the answer to the question of like, why did they sign Leonis Martin and Cole Calhoun? Which is to say that, you know, Leonis Martin and Cole Calhoun may not currently be as talented as Cade Marlowe, but they would rather have those guys be bench players because they also bring, you know, veteran leadership, veteran presence. Um, in addition to the fact that, like, if a guy who is young is sitting on the bench all that time, he is not, it's wasted development in a sense. And so I think that's kind of why they would have Lastella up instead of Evan White is if they feel like Evan White really needs to put together a solid season between AAA and the big leagues, right? And if he's just going to be sitting on the bench in Seattle, that is wasted development for him. And that's not giving him the chance to really shake off the rust in a way that he needs to. And so I think that's the the way in which Lastella finds himself on the club is if they aren't ready for White to be on the roster and get significant playing time and they want him to continue to get at bats in Tacoma at a, on a regular basis. Yeah. That just sucks though. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like it playing Tommy Listella over Evan white. It, I, I, it's like vaping instead of smoking. It's like, it's still bad for you, <laughs> <laughs> but one of them doesn't even look cool. Like, what are you bothering for? <laughs> are you a lucky strikes guy, Zach? No, I, I actually don't smoke. Smoking's really <laughs> bad for you, as I said. I know, I know. I figured. I'm just... But yeah, um, you're right. The Evan White is the crux of all of this. It's it's really tough because, like you said, you might as well just play Evan White. He's right there. If he's healthy, he's an actual prospect. He has an actual future ahead of him. He's, you know, he might be injured to the point where he can't play, but he's not washed from an age perspective. Like Tommy Lastella might just be washed 
but like fully thoroughly rinsed. The man might not play baseball <laughs> after he leaves Seattle. So just the possibility that like Evan White is a real prospect is so much more interesting to me. But your your previous prediction here, Evan White gets fewer than 400 MLB plate appearances at 60% confidence. Man, I'm going to be honest here. I am rooting for Evan White. Evan White is one of my like favorite players to succeed this year. I would give that more like 95% odds, honestly. I think as 400 plate appearances for Evan White is he makes the team very soon. So like this month, May at the latest, and he plays well and he is healthy the whole time. Those are all three things that need to happen for that to be achieved. I think he's much more likely to achieve uh, a Jake Bowers number of plate appearances, which is to say almost exactly 200. Yeah, that's I, you know, this is the one that I look back on and think like, you know, I I really undershot on this 60% in retrospect feels very low. There's what do you think? Fewer Evan White, fewer than 400 plate appearances. Uh, fewer than 400 plate appearances. I in the in the big leagues, to be clear. Yeah, right? MLB plate okay. appearances. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's like 80%. And and this is I the way I see Evan White's season likely shaping out is that he spends the first half of the year almost entirely in Tacoma unless there's like an injury and they call him up in the second half and he's like the starting first baseman from that point onward. And I still think at that point, he's still only at like 350. Um, so I, I think he will have a significant role on this team at some point during the season, but I do not think it will be the entirety of the season. Yeah. I mean, if Ty France gets hurt, I think Evan White, if he's healthy is getting those plate appearances though, which I mean, let's be clear. Know, Ty France gets hurt a lot. Ty France, yeah, it's yeah. when Ty France gets hurt. <laughs> and this ties into the previous prediction, which is Ty France hits fewer than 30 home runs, 80% confidence. Like you said, it's a question of when he gets hurt. I think I totally agree with that. I think under 30 home runs, 80%, I would I would certify that. What do you think, Durs? I'm at 90% on this. And this is because I've been saying, I think this, this offseason really, that Ty France is what he is. And that's fine. Right. I feel like everyone for the last, you know, year and a half has been waiting for France to like take that extra step into true stardom. And I just don't think it's necessarily going to happen. And I don't think that's a problem. I think that what he is is he's a above average player who is going to, you know, get a couple of all star all star appearances, but I do not think he's going to suddenly turn into like Pete Alonso or, you know, even a lesser version of that. I, I'm trying to think of who that would be, but you know, like I think he's more of a, a Yuli Gurriel, which is he's going to hit 20 homers with a very high average. He is he is a very good hitter, but he is not a power hitter, and that's totally fine. But also we have to bake in the fact that he is always going to have some degree of injury because he crowds the plate so much. He's going to get hit by pitches. They're going to hit his hands. They're going to hit his knees. He's going to get hurt, and those things are going to linger, and he's going to have a couple of bad months. And you know, every every season or every off season, we get to this point where we're like, oh, well, you know, he was playing half the season with a hurt elbow or whatever. So he's going to be fully healthy this year, you know, and, and what is he going to do? And he's fully healthy. I, I do not think that that is a healthy expectation to have for him. Well, and you say like he's, you know, not going to turn into Pete Alonso. Like if he was, when? I mean, he still feels like a very recent call up because he only got his first full season in 2020. But he's 29. You know, the development train has left the station on Ty France. And I love the player that he is, but there's not more in there, I don't think. And that's fine if he's healthy. Because if he's healthy and he play, you know, if we could get 150 games out of Ty France and he wasn't completely dinged up, like, 
he'd be pretty incredible. He was one of the top five hitters in the American League last year, basically rolling into the All-Star game, specifically rolling into that series in Oakland where he got pegged in the hand. Um, and such is history. But uh, yeah, I think that I think that we all agree he's probably due for fewer than 30 home runs. We would take more, um, but <laughs> we think he's due for less. And who knows, maybe, just maybe, Evan White gets a whole bunch of playing time in that stead, and they combine for something like 35 together or 40. That would be pretty cool. I would like that. Yeah, teams that get 40, 40 home runs out of their first base position, you know, that's like, that's bloodito right there. I, I would be stunned if that happened. But France is exactly what the Mariners wanted White to be when they drafted him. He is a... Well, maybe not as good of a defensive first baseman, but he's a very good defensive first baseman who hits 20 homers and hits for a 280 to 300 average. Was that not the scattering report on Evan White when they drafted him? Uh, Ty France is a fine defensive first baseman. I think to say he's very good is is overstating the case, especially relative to Evan White. But as, as a hitter, yeah, they're the same hitter. That's right. Ty France is the hitter that they want Evan White to be. Didn't he win a gold glove, though? He's gold glove winner Ty France. Oh, he was he's nominated. So he's Gold Glove yeah. nominated Ty France. Okay, well. <laughs> Rob for Yuli Gurriel for reasons passing understanding. <laughs> Miami Marlin, Yuli Gurriel. Re- yeah, brand new. That was uh, yesterday he signed, right? Yeah, I love their, you know, talk about uh, making the whole airplane out of second baseman. I love what they're doing down there. <laughs> uh, well, in the interest of time, let's let's skip some of these other hitter ones and, and move to a pitcher one. Uh Luis Castillo does not lead the Mariners pitchers in F war. I gave that 60% odds. Ooh. Spicy. I'm spicy. I mean, look, I'll, I'll, I'll speak about it while you guys think about it. Luis Castillo is the Mariners best pitcher. I don't think that's like in doubt, but the idea that he wouldn't lead the team in F war wouldn't be weird. Uh, leaving aside the injury possibility, I mean, George Kirby could break out. I was doing a little research on him this morning for an article. He is so good. And it was just two seasons ago that Robbie Ray outpaced Luis Castillo and Afwar. Like, the, it's, it would not be beyond the realm of possibility for that to happen again. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to put the odds higher that he does not lead the team in F4. I'm going I'm to say 70 and the reasons are pretty much for what you said in the article, which is A, injury, and B, the uncertainty of the performance of the guys around him. This is a very deep staff. One one through four, you could order those those four pitchers in F4 pretty much however you want to, and nobody could say that you're absolutely insane. I think maybe putting Castillo at four is unreasonable unless you think that he's going to get hurt, which is obviously a possibility. Um, but any of those four guys could be the Mariners' best pitcher this year. And honestly, it's it's not totally out of the realm of possibility that like Bryce Miller goes completely supersonic too, right? If the, if he uh, gets called up and <laughs> if he gets called up and he you know is just like Spencer Strider, you know, there's there's a world where he is the Mariners' best pitcher. I do not think that that is a high probability. Just to make that entirely clear, but you know. The fact that this is even a question at all, I think, speaks more to the depth of the Mariners starting pitching than it does to, you know, Luis Castillo's ability as a pitcher. And and I think that's kind of what you're getting at, too, right? Um, a very good problem to have that is not at all Luis Castillo's fault. I don't think it's a problem. <laughs> Arguably a solution. I'm going to actually flip the script. I agree with everything you guys said, but I, I think Castillo is good enough and in the prime of his career enough, and Kirby is just a little bit green enough where... 
I give Castillo 60% odds to lead, 40% odds that it's somebody else. And the other person is definitely George Kirby. I think we all love Kirby. I'm excited to read your article. Anything about George Kirby, I will read several times over because I, I think we are on the cusp of George Kirby being a major superstar top five pitcher in the American League, and I'm here for that. Yeah, there's there's two shortcuts to engagement as a Mariners content creator: Jared Kelnick and George Kirby. It, it's funny that it's it's funny that it's not Julio too, because like the Mariners <laughs> have the Rookie of the Year, like might be a perennial MVP candidate from from here on out. Like he is going to be a Mariner for the next 15 years, probably one of the best players in baseball. And it's just like, all right, bored by it. <laughs> well, it's not that we're bored by it. It's like. Everybody sees it. You know, what is there to say about Julio? This this is the perpetual problem about somebody who's that dynamic as a player and as a persona. It's like, how many times can you say he's, you know, maybe the best player in baseball? And, you know, also, have you guys seen the Topps commercials? They're so good. This guy's a star. It's it's hilarious. I I just think it's funny that we're like, yeah, give me the angsty 20 something instead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it's more relatable, you know? There's a Jared Kelnick in all of us. There's there's not a Julio in all of us. Yeah, and like you said, there's there's just nothing to talk about with Julio. You, even your prediction is like he leads the team. He's the most valuable player on the team. Like that's yeah, that's where we're at with it. But with Jared, it's like, is he gonna be below major league value? Is he gonna be a negative win player? Or is he gonna be an all-star? Like that's there's a lot of discussionary in there. Whether or not Julio is like a top ten player or a top five player is not as interesting, even if it is substantially more spectacular to actually witness and uh you know we all know that i think there's less talk about julio because it's understood at a baseline that he is the mariners at this point right like he is the team and thank god thank god (laughs) we got very lucky oh any other uh pitcher predictions you want to do yeah well we were talking about this a little bit before uh before we started recording i've got two here that are very related uh Marco makes at least 10 starts for Seattle and Marco makes fewer than 20 starts for Seattle. I gave both of those 70% odds. So you're basically saying that he gets traded at the deadline. I, you know, well, possibly he gets injured. Possibly he gets traded. I do not think they will move Marco to the bullpen. I don't think that's a thing, a place that makes sense for him. Um, So I think it's, you know, a trade or an injury. Yeah. Yeah. I, (laughs) I was just having this discussion with a buddy of mine that the funniest thing for to me and and not for you know I feel I feel bad for always just kicking Marco because famously I, I'm not a big Marco fan but the funniest thing to me I mean as, as a player I love him as a person to be clear the funniest thing to me would be if they traded Marco to the Yankees instead of trading Flexen <laughs> just <laughs> wa- watching like the absolute spiral that Yankees fans would go through if like when they watch him pitch in the Bronx for their team would just be like something to behold uh, I would hate to lose him but man that would be so worth it <laughs> I almost want that to happen now the weird oh. part of that too would be he'd put up terrible peripherals and he'd somehow like pitch pretty well, like does here. And it would confuse that, well, us all yeah. extra in that park. Yeah, well, he's not that much of a fly ball pitcher, is he? Every, everyone's a fly ball <laughs> pitcher in the box. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. fair. That's fair. It's also hard to say what kind of pitcher Marco is just because he's he just isn't very good anymore. So it's like he gets mm-hmm. outs however he can take them, right? That's that's yeah. where he's at. Yeah. What do you think, Durs, on those exact splits? 
Yeah, it's a very weird situation. I it's so weird to me that the Phillies wanted him last year. Like, what the hell? Why? What? Why? What would they have given Seattle? Like, was it just like a we'll take him for a bag of peanuts if that's what you're offering? Like, we'll take him if you pay for his whole contract. I'm just really unsure of how those conversations went. And we know that Flexen has been a popular topic for trade talks this winter. I mean, that's what all the reporters are saying. I have no idea if anyone's asking about Marco or if the Mariners are like asking other teams to take him or if they've just like given up on trying to get rid of him (sighs) because of that. I feel like it's still likely that he has more than 10 starts or what is it fewer? uh, I think he will have, (sighs) I think that the odds that he has fewer than 20 starts is like 50%, not 70%. I think there is very much a world where he's just like the number five starter all year. And he's just like, Mr. Consistent, and he's the guy who you just don't get excited when he's pitching on a Tuesday night and you go do something else um, because you'd rather be watching Luis Castillo or Logan Gilbert, but I think he's just going to be on the team and doing his thing. I think 90% Marco makes at least 10 starts for Seattle, and I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to take 70 on fewer than 20. I think that I don't know if he gets traded. I think they'd like, you know, we've talked about it a million times. We think they trade Flexen instead, but I suspect like Marco was injured a little bit last year. Right. I like, I not really, but he had like arm deadness yeah. for, yeah, for like a couple of weeks. I think that he misses enough time where him making like more than even, let's say like 22 starts is not all that likely. So that kind of, that all aligns where if he misses a little bit of time and isn't very good and they skip a couple of days, he's probably going to wind up with like 17 to 20 starts in my mind. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that sounds very right. And you could imagine him missing a little time that they then, you know, they don't feel any rush to get him back because like Chris Flexen's doing, you know, holding down that spot just fine or Bryce Miller's like taking the world by storm. Uh, so they let Marco miss like one more start through the rotation than he otherwise would. Uh, I think that's very possible. But, you know, it's also possible that more than one of these guys gets hurt at the same time. Like I remember 2017, it was, it was a disaster. I think like, I think all of the talk about trying to, you know, offload Chris Flexen is misguided. It, it, it reflects the fact that it's been a long time since the Mariners have had meaningful injuries to their rotation. Like, over the last three years, the only the only thing I can think of is is when Kendall Graveman was a starter in twenty twenty and he like hurt his neck. I, it, uh, we've just like gotten so lucky, and I think people have erased from their minds that James Paxton was supposed to be uh, on the twenty twenty one team, but you know he only pitched like what was it two innings? They were five glorious hitters, Zach. They were great, and I just think people forget that right <laughs> that, that he was around and that he got hurt. Like pitchers get hurt a lot. It's really nice to have a Chris Flex in there instead of a Tommy Malone. <laughs> yeah, I'm in I'm in 100% agreement with you, Zach. I think that we underestimate how valuable it is to have a Chris Flex in around um, because the alternative is like Justice Sheffield gets into a game. <laughs> And Ooh, I don't yeah. think anyone wants that to happen. Like, at least if Flexen has to make a spot start, you have a chance to win the game because he is a good pitcher, right? He's not a great pitcher, but he's fine. Um, and I, I just don't know what you're going to be getting in a trade for him that is like more valuable to the ball club than having him around. Like, sure, I know I saw John mentioned on Twitter, I think it was like, 
you know, they could trade him for Aaron Hicks and like a decent prospect. But what is real? What is Aaron Hicks really providing us value wise that we that we need? Because we have a lot of outfield depth, honestly. Like we have a lot of interesting outfielders who could take spot starts if you know someone falls to injury. We we really will. We will see how quickly the pitching depth runs thin if we have a couple of injuries like the Yankees have had. And then we're going to be like, oh, my God, we should have kept Chris Flexen. And I would hate to be in that situation. Yeah, the difference between a guy who puts up zero wins above replacement and somebody who puts up negative two wins above replacement is actually enormous. I mean, I think Chris Flexen's like a two-war starter even. So I, I think I think it's even better than that, you know? Oh, I, I agree with you. That's what I'm saying. Like, it is... Uh... It is really valuable to have as much depth as you can get. I think the only reason we're entertaining trading Flexen or Marco for that matter really is because Bryce Miller has popped so much in camp and had, you know, had Jerry right. not essentially come out and been like, dude looks ready. I don't think we would have been talking about it as much. It would have been like, yeah, we, we're going to need these guys for depth. There's a place in the in the bullpen for a long reliever. I also kind of don't want them using Bryce Miller as relief pitcher. I no, can tell. no. I don't like it. They're going to try and do it. I, we we all know this, right? They're going to, it provided the starters stay healthy. They're going to, at some point this summer, going to try and put him in the bullpen. And I'd much rather they just let him be a starter. I'm not a believer in the take your starter and put them in the bullpen for a year. If there's no space for them deal, like just let starters start, keep them stretched out, keep them using the proper pitch mix. Cause when you start messing with that, it gets weird. And it, it can be hard to go back. We had the Daniel Bard situation once upon a time. <laughs> uh, nobody remembers that but me. It's okay. Um, yeah, I think just let let Bryce Miller start. If that's going to be in, in Tacoma, so be it. But yeah, the only reason why we're entertaining this, thinning out what is good depth right now is because we seemingly have good prospect depth, which is a weird thing to think. But the Mariners also have been very adept with their pitching prospects and development. That's kind of the strength of the organization. So maybe it's a natural, we're at a natural bend in the road where we do need to expend some of that capital to, to fill a hole somewhere. And I would be okay with that, but I agree with and, you that we, it is greedy on our part. And here's where I disagree with you. Six starters is not enough either. No. You need seven, eight, uh, six. The fact that Bryce Miller could be the, the next spot in the rotation. Like, first of all, that might not work. I'm as high as on Bryce Miller as anybody, but we don't know yet whether that's going to work or not. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work for Matt Brash last year, and then they had exactly. to go to Kirby. And yeah. thank God Kirby was good, but what if he wasn't? Then you were like, what would they have done at that point, right? I, I think that we as fans, all of us, are very bad at building uncertainty into our roster projections. Like, we we all are desperate to make the pieces fit, and we're all desperate to, like, make a spot for Bryce Miller without realizing like the odds that a spot just opens up for him at some point are very high. And we don't know how that's going to happen. We don't know who is going to get hurt or get traded that will open up that spot. But the odds are, are pretty good that like something is going to happen to present him with the opportunity. If he is showing that he deserves it. This is how the Dodgers have been beating the world for the last, you know, 10 years is that they just have a next man up and there's always space for them. They, the Dodgers have never kept somebody down because, uh, you know, they just didn't have a spot. They were always ready for an emergency and uh, because emergencies just arise. Yeah. And as fans, too, I'm always excited about upside because Marco's Marco. But but Bryce Miller is a mystery box. He could be anything. And uh, 
I'm bored of Marco, but like Bryce Miller is new and shiny and exciting. And and behind him, you have Emerson Hancock, who's also new in a first round draft pick. And like not as exciting, but like, you know, interesting. But that's me wanting to see the upside more than valuing the baseline, the floor, which is that Marco is already a successful major league starting pitcher and like was fine. You know, like he's not bad. He's not way below major league average. He's just kind of closer to replacement level than we would like given where the team is but that's there's value to be had in a floor right there's marco is a good floor for this fifth spot right now Uh, a a not that much better version of marco than we're seeing right now was this team's ace for like three years (laughs) (laughs) like he he you know like i said i'm as big of a marco hater i feel like as anyone i he is not a bad pitcher he is just a fine pitcher um and fine is is like we are so spoiled that fine is not good enough for us right now Correct. Correct. Yes. We are spoiled. How quickly we forget what it was like. <laughs> Not that long ago. All right. Well, uh, what do you guys think on All-Stars? Uh, Mariners have at least three All-Stars. I gave 60% odds. Mariners have fewer than five All-Stars. I gave 80% odds. Fewer than five, I could easily say I'd give that like a 95% odds. I think if the Mariners have five or greater All-Stars, we are just absolutely shredding the league so that'd be sick yes um but i think yeah I, i'd go with your your first stat there i think two two all-stars is pretty likely given that like one's going to be julio by default and then we're assuming one of the pitchers just kind of hits it off be that castillo or kirby or whatever but yeah yeah i've also got munoz as basically a lock if he's healthy it's really hard if you're a reliever especially if you're not one who is in a locked in closer position which the mariners are not going to have like Munoz is a closer in so much as he throws to the heart of the order at the end of a game. But sometimes it's in the eighth inning, sometimes it's in the seventh inning, whatever. I think it's really hard unless you have like unreal numbers if you're not like close to leading the league in saves. I still think that baseball is still somewhat traditional in that sense. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I think I would refer you to my last response. Yes, Andres Munoz will have unreal numbers. And uh, second of all... (laughs) I, I think the tide is shifting on that in terms of like the, even the traditionalists have come to understand that that's not how bullpens are used. Maybe it's how they would do it, but I think there's been a lot of education on that over the last five years, even though managers started using bullpens differently as you know quite a bit longer ago than that. But you know, I take so I guess to that end, I would agree with the fewer than five being eighty percent. I think the at least three is a fifty percent, not a sixty percent. I. Making an all-star team is really freaking hard, you guys. (laughs) Like, Ty France was amazing in the first half and almost didn't make it. He was only a last-second replacement. Yeah, that's it's an issue of Mariners players being low-profile nationally and, like, not popular enough to get votes, sort of, more than their performance. Well, but I think that's that's changing, too, for two reasons. One is they finally made the playoffs, and with Julio around, I think they are much more in the conversation than we are used to them being. Like... When Felix Hernandez was our star, that was not that was not enough to get us in the conversation. Julio is, and I think they get a home field bump. Like the fact mm. that they're hosting the All Star Game will have Seattle and All Star Game in. You know those phrases will be connected for people. That's a good point. I didn't really consider that. So yeah, I guess I would agree with your odds on both fronts. Then all right, uh, you want to talk about what I'm taking a lot of flack for in the comments to this article? Bring it. Uh, I've got the Astros as 90% to win the AL West. Fangraphs has them at 57.1. I, you know, I don't, I understand where you're coming from because the Astros are inevitable. 
they're Thanos, right? Like the Astros will be good for the rest of our lives and that's going to suck. But I, I think that the odds are lower than that, than then you're giving them. I think that the odds of them winning the West is probably something like, I would probably say 70, not just because of the Mariners, to be frank. I, I think that one of the Rangers or angels, we would hate if this happened, but I think that there is a world where one of them is amazing and wins the West. And we are just like, I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you're here is in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Swimming in our own pool of tears at the fact that the Mariners didn't sign, you know, someone they could have signed to put them in that situation instead. Um, but I think that that definitely has to be baked into the equation. I think that that is that 90% prediction is, is forged in pain and disappointment. I understand it intellectually and emotionally. I think it is the correct thought, which is the Astros will win the West. It is the wrong percent. I would agree with theirs that it's probably like on a mathematical level, it's closer to 70%. But intellectually, like we're humans and this is a sport, somebody wins and other people lose, like they're going to win. We've we've all mentally accepted this. And it's a question of like what we do in, in the second place, kind of. And so uh, that's where our headspace is at collectively as a fan base. And I think that's OK. So I understand the prediction. I think it is too high, but it's also the right answer. Right. We, we think that we all think they're going to win. I just think, you know, they are so consistently getting the most out of their players. You know, Jeremy Pena was like, not even really on the prospect <laughs> radar until the Astros were like, no, he's going to be our shortstop. And then everybody went and looked, you know, went back and looked and they're like, ah, all right, let's call him like the number 70 prospect in MLB. And then he's out there like challenging for rookie of the year. Right. Like I, here's an, and the projection systems that put the Astros at 57.1, like those don't take into account playoff performance, I'm pretty sure. And for like Jose Altuve, you know, whatever, the guy's been playing for 10 years. But for Jeremy Pena, he got 10% of his plate appearances last year in the playoffs. That's like a meaningful amount of the sample. And these were against like the best pitchers in baseball. You know, this was Luis Castillo and Aaron Nola and Garrett Cole, not like padding his numbers against, you know, sentient cans of olive oil in the Coliseum. Like he was, he <laughs> put up 186 WRC plus against those players for a month. Like I, I think he's going to be even better than the projection systems have him. So that's just like one example of, of what they are so continually doing. It is incredibly annoying. And that's kind of like, this is I, I I bet this is how people feel about the Mariners pitching. Like not just they're starting with their bullpens. They're just like every guy they call up is really freaking good, and every guy they acquire is really freaking good. You know, um, so the Astros are that with everyone, not just pitchers. <laughs> so I guess we get a little taste of that. Um, but they have to yeah, the right. Dodgers on Jordan Alvarez. How is that possible? That is that is the craziest thing to me. They they acquired Jordan Alvarez from they stole him from the Dodgers, who are like unquestionably smart for like it was someone that was like super like not not important like it was like it wasn't james shields but it was like a very similar like level player 
Um, and then like not even two full years later, after he was traded for a DSL ball, they call him up and he's just like the best, like the best hitter, pure hitter in baseball. Exactly. <laughs> Josh Fields. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know about that. Uh, yeah. I just like, I hear what you're saying that like, this is baked in pain. And I really just think like, this is, this is what the Astros are. I think I have a better read on this than the computers do. And so that's why I'm giving them <laughs> so much higher odds. There's not a lot of things I think I'm like better than the computer on, but this is one of them. There will come a year too where the Astros crumble, right? Like we all understand this intellectually. There will come a year where like an important player gets injured. A second guy gets stinged up. Somebody underperforms a whole bunch. They don't quite have enough prospects to fill it out. And they have a pretty mediocre year. Good teams go through that kind of wax and wane. I just don't think they're due for it this year. Yeah, well, the Yankees haven't had a losing season since like 2006 or something, right? So it, it doesn't happen to everyone necessarily. The Yankees have also not had a whole lot of playoff success. I mean, you're right. You're right. They go to the playoffs every year, but they've had very, I think their fans would tell you that their results have been mixed over the last decade. Whether or not that's fair is a separate question. Wow. Okay. I just want to like, I'm, I'm recording some of these facts, like your percentages. Another thing I'm going to record is, is Evan. Uh, seating and citing the, the Yankees fans as a, an authoritative source. The... Well, just that the Yankees fans believe they're entitled to more success than they've had, whether or not I, that's true. <laughs> I think I aspire something... to that level of confidence in, in what I deserve. I really do. I, I have, I have a couple of good friends that are Yankees fans and they're not like the, the crazy, like if, if you've never like actually spoken to very many Yankees fans, then may, maybe this is news to you, but they're like, not every Yankee fan is like, throwing cans of beer at an outfielder they don't like um just just the really shitty ones. you know there's really bad in ones. new york for six years i i know from once i speak. oh yeah okay yeah yeah um this is true but they have a di- they have like a different kind of pain and frustration like going to the playoffs and having these hopes every year and then just like having them quash and i think the mariners like got to have a little taste of that this last year when we made the playoffs and we were still like upset with how that went. Cause we were like, well, we could have beaten the Astros cause we could have had game one. And then like, you know, game two, we almost had kind of two and then game three, like was anyone's game. And like, we could like this, this, this kind of pain is like the pain that Yankees fans have felt for the last decade. And I kind of empathize with that in a different kind of way. It, it is like a different level of pain intellectually, but, um, Anyway, I don't even really know where I was going with that, but I think no, the you were fans just, might be you were for that. simping for Yankees fans, like the two of you. Are just- <laughs> <laughs> it's like their their pain is like Seahawks fans, right? Because the Seahawks went to the playoffs basically every year for Russell Wilson's entire tenure, but they are only a truly elite team for you know a span of basically three years. So that's kind of the equivalent: is a team that's good enough to be ultra competitive, but they're still not one of the top tier teams which frankly is kind of what we believe about the Mariners right now is that they're a second tier good team, right? That they're not the Astros, yeah. they're not, they're not there, but they are one tier below them, but way above let's, you know, the riffraff and no offense to Kate, but the Rangers who I think are going to have a bunk here. Um, but why do we do actually, since we're talking about this, why do we do your around the ALS predictions here? Yeah. Uh, how about Rangers do not make the playoffs? I've got that at 70%. Love it. No notes. Yep, I agree. I, I think that people. I think the Rangers are the darling because they spent money, and I'm happy for them. But I, I think that that's correct. They spend a, a money on a lot of risk. Like if that all goes, you know, we're we're currently writing our if it all goes right and if it all goes wrong for 
the Mariners, but the Rangers, if it all goes wrong, it looks like last year, if it all goes right, I mean, holy crap, that rotation is so good if they're all healthy. If the Texas uh, rotation is healthy, that is a caveat if I've ever heard one. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's like saying if that's the Rangers got rotation, or, sorry, that's, that's like saying not, if the Angels rotation was healthy. Also true. <laughs> hmm, indeed. Well, let's talk about the Angels rotation. Uh, Shohei finishes the year as an Angel. I've got that at 70%. No, it's 90%. There's no way they trade him, I think. I also go with 90. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they could trade him. Maybe it's more likely because they didn't sell the team. I would think new owners wouldn't do that. Maybe, maybe. I think so. Well, you know my hot take on, on Shohei Otani is that he actually resigns with Anaheim. That is a hot take. That 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 would cause like the discourse would be unbearable if that if that for <laughs> not just Mariners fans but for everyone to be clear because the Mets fans have been saying for the last six months like. Oh, Shohei Otani, future Met, you know, and Dodgers fans, Shohei Otani, future Dodger. Like, those people are going to be just as upset as we are. If I saw that him. movie in the winter of 2017, and um, I think it's just going just gonna to go exactly the same way. He's going to get $500 million to be on a continually bad Angels team. You know, he's just got really bad judgment. <laughs> this is something that I wondered in, like, 2019. I was like... I wonder if he regrets making that decision. And I wonder at what point he regretted making that decision. I don't think he knows what a good decision looks like. I mean, th <laughs> this is a guy who's Jeez. like big sponsorship deal was for FTX and he got paid some money, but he also took a stake in FTX as like his payment for sponsoring them. He's just, Oof. he's, he's a great baseball player. He seems like a relatively humble person. But, um, you know, I think he's kind of a dummy. There was a couple sports players, athletes in general from that particular era who did like portions of their contract crypto. I want to say Trevor Lawrence had part of his contract. Crypto. <laughs> like, I really wonder how that's actually gone for anybody. I can't I, I refuse to believe anyone's actually came out ahead in any of that. Who, who is the Mariners player most likely to have gotten part of their contract in crypto that we don't know? JP Crawford. Yet? Sorry. JP Crawford. That was the, that's actually why I asked the question was because I was going to say JP. <laughs> that is the easiest question on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. I'm really glad you asked that. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, is there anything that we haven't gotten to that you guys want to talk about? There is one I do want to bring up because it boils my blood a little bit. I'm not going to lie. It excellent excellent that's that's good content good podcast content is what people it is. disagree it is we like to get spicy here on the lookout landing podcast toro and winker combined for more f4 than colton wong 80 percent confidence now mm. i hate it i hate it but i get it and... <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna say i'm gonna agree with your number there and be mad about it how's that I mean, Evan, you know that I was saying for the longest time the Mariners should not trade Jesse Winker. Now that now that it's done and like even more stories are coming out, I'm like, okay, it was probably a good thing for them to trade Jesse Winker. But it's inevitable that he's going to like revert back to being a really good baseball player. And that's just part of it. And I don't think there's anything we could have done about that. Like I do not think he would have been good here. And so if he has like a 140 WRC plus in Milwaukee, I don't want to hear people be like, Oh, we shouldn't have made that trade, because like he would have had like an eighty five here. 
because he hated it here. And I, I think that that's correct. And also that we are going to be glad that we have Colton Wong. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. I think he would not be the same player in Seattle as he would be elsewhere. Uh, you know, we're, these people are human beings. That stuff matters. Uh, I don't know about 140 to 85. That seems like a bit of a gap, but... Um, I never exaggerate, Zach. Yeah. And then Toro, you know, he's uh, he was... Here's, here's a fact for you guys. Abraham Toro and Sam Haggerty had the same expected Woba last year. Very different outcomes, but their quality of contact and their, you know, judgment of the strike zone, they, the, the computers say they should have been the same, same kind of hitter. Uh, and that says as much about Sam Haggerty as it does about Abraham Toro, but I, it's possible he's, he puts it together more than he did. That's really weird because I see it. I like now that you say that, I actually kind of see it because Toro obviously got unlucky on balls in play to a substantial degree, and Haggerty got very lucky, which is where you wind up with the fun little anecdote that he was a six-win player over a six-week stretch. Uh, if you were yeah. to extrapolate that out, like that was wild, but that was him getting lucky and him playing good defense and stealing a whole bunch of bases. Um, that is really interesting that he and Toro are basically to be similar hitters because, yeah. I think Toro is is primed to be a major league hitter. And I, I've kind of always thought that. I was genuinely disappointed he didn't work out with the Mariners. Um, I still think he has a major league future of some kind. It's just might be more rotational than the starting guy that I was hoping based on his, I want to say 2019 AAA numbers were really good. Yeah, um, yeah that's right. He's still that that guy I do believe is still in there. So yeah, I I like the I like your prediction, even though I don't like what it implies for, for Colton Wong in the situation the Mariners are in. Well, plus there's two of them, right? And we've got Colton Wong expected to be a platoon player. Strong side, sure, but a part-time player versus two other players. I mean, that's just like, play the odds. I think we are going to be very happy with Colton Wong, even if he's not like a sensation, which I would be very shocked if he was. I think we're going to be very happy with him. Oh, the vibes are terrific. You know, I talk about like loving this team as it is. I. Colton Wong, I am so thrilled to have as a part of this group. Did not agree with his take on the aliens in the most recent uh, little video <laughs> yeah. that the Mariners put out. Uh, I, I but, think that's um, why we all went to JP for the crypto thing, because JP was like <laughs> about to dive into like a 300-page conspiracy theory about it all. Uh, I, will, I will say, I think it's funny that the most level-headed of, of the crew were uh, Julio and Teoscar, um, because... Someone was in my comments and I don't know how wrong it is that like people here watch too much television and they just like see really weird stuff that puts weird, weird ideas in their head. And I think that Julio and Tasker were like, yeah, probably, but like somewhere, I don't know. And I'm like, that's probably yeah. the correct answer. No, Julio's got this exactly right. Like the universe is just too big. <laughs> there have to be aliens out there somewhere. Like Paul Seawald's confidence in no was also like a little unearned, I thought, even though he's, uh, you know, positions himself as the reasonable mind in that group. Is this a hardcore divisive issue on the Mariners? The existence of aliens? No, nah, it, it did, did. Did you watch the video, Evan? Uh, not the Colton Wong interview. I have not seen that. Oh, it, it was. They, they just asked like every player if they thought aliens were were real. Um, and you got a lot of guys being like, "Oh man, like yeah, I think that they've been here." Like you see all the videos, the documentaries. Like I, I just watched this two-hour documentary, man. You got, it. and I'm just like, dude, it's <laughs> you are watching too much TV in your free time. Yeah, that is a good way to find out who's watched. There is a very specific Hulu documentary that's relatively recent about UFOs. I bet they were all quoting that. If I had, if I had to guess, they are all quoting mm -hmm. that. 
And I have seen that. And it is, it is, it is interesting. There is stuff there. Ooh, should we give our our assessment on that? Should we give our oh predictions that aliens exist? <laughs> you you want to cause a discourse. Well, see, actually, Evan, this is a great example of something that is not falsifiable. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we'll we'll see. Um on topic though, there is one other question I, or, or prediction here that I did want to point out because there is already relevant information that may conflict with it, which is that you have Mitch Hanniger plays fewer than 135 games at 60% confidence. I think that that confidence is too low. Mitch Hanniger is already injured again. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> is he? No. Yes, he is. He's sitting out for a couple of days with oblique soreness. Oh, Mitch. Oh, Mitch. I love you, Mitch. I. I will wear the, my Mitch Hanniger Mariners jersey with the most pride. Like, I love Mitch Hanniger. But also, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to regret him him leaving in the end. I, I was very sad when the Mariners did not end up signing him, but I get it. You know, how's Kyle Lewis? Is he on both feet? Nope. I'm too scared. to. I'm legitimately too afraid to look. I, I mean, last I saw, he was hurt. But I that was like a couple weeks ago, so maybe things have changed. It doesn't make me feel good. But uh, you know what does make me feel good is having a 26-man roster where, you know, people are healthy. Cooper Hummel. What about what about him? <laughs> <laughs> he he's he's our short king. That's that's what about him. Uh huh. Uh huh. He's our official Kyle Lewis replacement in our in our hearts and minds and and technically on the roster. Well, on the 40-man for sure. Yeah. I I I have I have some doubts about Cooper Hummel. I like him. I want him to succeed. I worry about these guys whose minor league numbers are based mostly on a really good knowledge of the strike zone. But I don't do that much damage on contact. I think they it's very high risk that pitchers just start challenging them once they get to the major leagues. All right, guys. In the interest of time, I say we wrap it on one more question. You know what that? Yeah. Jerz, uh, you haven't picked one yet. Is there one you want? Oh, man. The Mitch one was actually one I had my eye on, but I'll because I'll, <laughs> you know for similar similar reasons. Uh, uh, wow. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I'm looking over a couple of them here. I know this isn't great audio, but I'm just trying to find them. Okay, the Mariners make at, le- at least one in season trade at ninety percent. My question is, what do you define as as like what what has to happen for it to be considered in season trade? Because every team makes like twenty five trades that are like you know, X guy for cash, but are you counting it for like big league player for big league players that what you're talking about or big league player uh, for like significant prospect return? No, I'm, I'm counting as uh trade gets logged in the books as a trade. Oh, just well then literally, day hun- day. literally like 150% because like I just said, every team makes like a hundred tiny trades throughout the year. I just upset Zach because I said a percentage that wasn't possible. No, I like the confidence. I agree with you. That's, you know, that's like, that's part of the exercise. It's like, you know, I wanted to pick 10 that I was really confident about and give them 90% odds. You'll see that none of those are pitching predictions. Yeah, that's probably smart. Evan James Audio, what do you think? Yeah, I, yeah, 100%. They'll, they'll do something like, yeah, they'll, they'll like maybe even something as small as like they'll trade one of the relief pitchers for, for nothing, for, you know, like, concerns later for a player to be named later or something like that they'll they'll do some kind of small move we might see something pretty soon if dylan moore and sam Haggerty don't get up to speed i could see them potentially mason mccoy yeah mason mccoy could do something wouldn't be an 
That wouldn't be an in-season trade, though. Yeah, I think... So trades being different than just transactions of any kind or just signing. So this is not like signing Tommy Malone in May. This is not like bringing up somebody who's not on the 40-man. Yeah. The Mariners did have like six trades involving just uh, Jacob Nottingham and um, who, who's the other one last season? Mike Ford. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bless Mike Ford. So Mike Ford's going to get dealt somewhere and then we're going to get him back because he's on the team. Both of them are on the team again. <laughs> yeah, they're both slated to play in Tacoma. So realistically, it could be them. All right. Well, uh, I, let's Evan, you'll put a link to the uh, this post in uh, in the thing so people can find the survey and fill out the survey. Yeah, absolutely. I will post the article in the links. Everybody go check it out. Fill out your sheet. Um, cast all your votes. The more data we get, the better. Uh, we will be back next week. We're going to have this crew doing some stuff. We don't know exactly what day it's going to be, if we're going to be recording on Saturday or Sunday just yet. We want to wait till the actual rollover to the new sports network and see. just make sure the podcast is on that solid footing before we like nail down a schedule. But we're going to have uh, more people on the podcast, both you know coming up in the immediate sense for the next couple of months, but really all season because uh, Kate and John are both going to be at the games a little more frequently and less available to do this with me. We want to keep having the con- the content flowing. So Zach's going to be here. Andrews is going to be here. Uh, we're hoping that Shay's going to be on and Nick. So you're going to see kind of a bigger lookout landing crew going forward. Again, I'm going to link Zach's article in the description. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back with uh, John and Kate next week.